The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. Let's see, did I turn this on? It doesn't sound like it's on. Okay. Hmm. Doesn't sound like it's on. No? Okay. So, one of the things we were talking about is the, the tyranny of the comparing mind. Comparing mind. And how tricky it is to get away from that. Because most of our experiences are, in fact, in relation to something. We say, the Buddha said, when hearing, just hear. When seeing, just see. But I will hear a sharp sound. And what I mean by that is it's more harsh than something else. I make a distinction between music and noise. This is a comparator that is so quickly done and so automatic that I'm not even aware of it. It just happens. But really, I'm just hearing, just hearing. Experience happens. It isn't... This not that we don't influence the experience. We definitely influence the experience we have by where we look, by how we see, by our attention, by our motivations, by our intentions. We affect what happens over and over and over and over again. What we dwell on is what arises. What we dwell on is what arises. The relational mind, this mind that is seeing things in relation to other things, has a hard time not comparing. This is better or worse than, this is different than, this is sharper than, this is shorter, longer, this is not good, this is good, this could be better. So I'm going to tell you about a recent experience I had and show how this is working in my practice so we can see how this works. So I've recently moved, and I was trying to move my telephone service. This has given rise to many, many conversations with AT&T, which is fast becoming my not favorite telephone company. (laughs) So the first person... Uh, took my order to cancel the old phone. I said, I just want to transfer my service to my new place. So she canceled the old phone and gave me a new phone number and set up the installation. The installation guy came, and he was going to install some internet. And I said, I don't want internet. (laughs) So then the second person I talked to said, oh, no, no, that's a mistake. We'll just give you a landline, and here's your new phone number, a second new phone number. Don't worry, I've taken care of it. But I can't just change it because you have to wait a week before I can get rid of this internet service. So you have to call back next week. So I called back. The third person I talked to told me the second person was crazy and that that wasn't going to work. And I'm saying, you know, all I want is just a simple landline here. What can we do about this, right? And then... And then uh, they actually left the phone number. That was the good news. They canceled the old uh, telephone. And I thought, okay, it's all set. It's done. So then I get a bill that is totally crazy. So I call to straighten out the bill. And the fourth person 
tells me that all my accounts have been canceled and I owe them a whole lot of money and uh, she gives me another phone number, another new phone number and a new account. And I say, you know, that 415663 number will not work in a 650 area code. And she insists that it's true. And I say, you know, it's really not true. And I, after an hour, I hung up. Okay, so now I've told you a very sanitized version of this story. <laughs> because I got really irritated. I mean, angry. <laughs> irritated. Over and over. And I reminded myself over and over, it is not this person's fault. This person I'm talking to is doing the best they can for me. And they were so solicitous. How could you not believe in these people? They were so eager to help me. They gave me their name and their employee ID numbers. I mean, unfortunately, they just, you know, so far I don't have a phone service. <laughs> and angry. And I would watch myself. I had the intention of being kind. And I had the goal of an outcome of actually getting what I wanted. And in between, what I watched was my equanimous nature going up and down and up and down like a roller coaster. And no amount of my saying, I should be better at this. I need to be better at this. They should be better at this. Then I noticed what I wanted was not exactly what they had in mind. <laughs> I struggled with my intention, with being trying to be kind to the person on the phone trying to be adamant about what I actually wanted. And it was, a, it was a turmoil. It was a turmoil. And I had to just admit that that's what was happening and that I was not a perfect person. And that's when I was noticing how much of the burden I was putting on myself to be a perfect customer. <laughs> oh, don't chew out this poor customer service person. They're really trying. Unfortunately, what was going through my head was very unkind thoughts about these people. And I would modulate my voice, and it would go up again, and I would modulate again. There are kind of three aspects. There's the ideal. Here's what I want. I want to get what I want. And I want to have, be kind and have a peaceful nature about it. Those are my two ideals. And then there was the relative. Well, I'm better than I was last time. You know, I, did, I didn't really, I really never yelled at anybody. That's pretty good. I didn't yell. And uh, we're solving this together. And I want this person to like me. I want this person to be professional. I want to be calm. There were all these conditions that I was putting on the experience that had to do with better and not so good. And then there was the outcome. Okay, so there's the ideal, the relative, and the outcome. And of course, there's only one success story. I get my telephone at the right price. And I'm totally magnanimous. And anything short of this is failure. Who says? <laughs> it just is. Life happens. You know, you have these plans, you have these, this ideal about how I should be in this world, and then life happens. We conflate our intention with an ideal, and this gives rise to suffering. 
additional suffering to not getting what you want. <laughs> you know, the beating up on myself for being irritated, for the agitation. I'm totally responsible for how I deal with that agitation, but not for the agitation. That makes sense to you. We tend to see our experience only in relation to others. Okay, so I'm worrying about this other person on the phone. How can I influence this person? How, how can I be kind to this person? Part of me is also paying attention to the fact that I'm really agitated. <laughs> so, so that splitting of intention in relation to others. And then setting the eyes on the goal so far in the future that I miss what's happening. You know, what's happening? What's going on right here in this moment? And all of the time, I'm, I'm covertly wishing things were different. <laughs> wishing things were different than they are, right? That's, that's where it's all coming from. This is how it is. It's messy. They can't figure it out. I'm irritated by it. All of this stuff is actually what's happening. This is what new now feels like. This is what now feels like. That's what we need to remember. This is what now feels like. Not what it means, how I should be better, how this should be better, how the planning should be different, how I should have taken care of this a month ago. No. This is what now feels like. This is what's happening now. Not in comparison to how it should be, could be, would have been, might be. This is how it is now. There is ease in that. This is how it is now. The mind that is not clinging to something is in fact not agitated. Have you ever noticed when you were sitting in meditation, some thought arises, and there's all this agitation, and you notice that your body is actually still? You can, you can sometimes feel this at the end of a sitting, when the bell is, rings. You've been waiting for the bell to ring. That bell better ring. The bell's about to ring. It rings. You actually don't move immediately. Because you have to break that stillness to notice that you're actually still, even though the mind is busy. This is an important distinction. This is how it really is. Kind of gets you out of that mode of having to be perfect, <laughs> having to be a particular ideal. When you notice that, when you notice this is just how things are, you give up trying to make things different than they are. And the ease that you experience is a letting go. It's not something you consciously do. It's that you're no longer entangled in the struggle. You're not telling yourself the story over and over again. And in that disentangling yourself from that story, the passion goes out of it. You become disenchanted. It's not a letting go so much as it is a, uh, meh, goes away. 
It's not something you do. It's something that you actually just notice. Oh, I'm not so caught by that. You, you've probably done this. You know, you, you're passing by... Uh, passing by the ice cream freezer in the refrigerator. <gasps> Boy, I'd really like that. I really want that ice cream. And you turn the corner and you've kind of forgotten it. <laughs> yeah, it's just a, a, a trigger in the back of your mind, but it's no longer an obsession. When there's nothing to let go of, wanting disappears. If you notice the wanting part, wanting it to be different, wanting, wanting, wanting it, this, this comparator part, you know, it, it should be a little bit this way, a little bit this way. If you can feel that wanting and say, oh, wanting, huh. then you're not caught by, you're not entangled with the comparator that you've set up for yourself, whatever that ideal is. So I told you I recently moved. And I, I moved from this house that was out in the country. It was very quiet, very beautiful, sun streaming through all the windows, gorgeous, gorgeous, bright place. And I moved to a condo in Menlo Park, which is dark. And I was so obsessed with losing, I was so depressed by not having the sunshine. I was paying so much attention to how dark it was. And then I just got bored with that, how dark it was. And I started noticing that I really liked, I really liked where the coffee went in this kitchen. It was just, geez, so convenient there and so close to that. As soon as I stopped expecting it to be a certain way, longing for it to be a certain way, I was able to be content with how it actually is. I could allow it to be just as it is and not be caught up by something that's not there. Okay. Don't get entangled with what you long for or dislike. Not seeing what you long for is suffering also is seeing what you dislike. If you're paying a lot of attention to what you're longing for and you don't see it, it's sad. If you're paying a lot of attention to what you dislike and it's right there in front of you, suffering. But if you're not spending so much of your attention looking at those things, well, this could be better, this could be better, you'd be surprised at how content you can be without letting go of anything. So, a brief poem by Jane Hirschfield, The Promise. Mysteriously they entered those few minutes. Mysteriously they left. As if the great dog of confusion guarding my heart, who is always sleepless, suddenly slept. It was not any awakening of the large, not so much as that, only a stepping back from the petty. I gazed at the range of mountains, I drank from the stream, tossed in a small stone from the bank. Whatever direction the fates of my life might travel, I trusted. 
Even the greedy direction, even the grieving, trusted. There was nothing left to be saved from, bliss or danger. The dog's tail wagged a little in his dream. You might recall that was the dog, great dog of confusion guarding my heart. May the great dog of confusion guarding your heart wag his tail. Thank you.